Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always, and we're recording an episode Thursday afternoon. We've got some details announced by Governor Kate Brown of the state of Oregon about football and, and specifically, you know, Oregon versus Ohio State on September 12th. And before we dive into that, I want to remind Duck fans out there that it, we are offering a subscription uh, on DuckTerritory.com that's 60% off an annual membership. You pay $3.58 over 12-month period. Uh, you're billed one time. but that comes out to being $3.58 a month. That's an insane deal because our month-to-month prices right now are $9.95. But if you don't want to go annual, you can do our our first month trial, which is $1. And then after that, it goes to $9.95. So huge savings either way of the membership plan that you choose to go. You could go annual and pay uh, $42.96. That's a 60% off value. Or you could get your month, your first month for $1. That's $8.95 cheaper than the normal price for DuckTerritory.com. And that supports Eric and I and Kevin and doing these podcasts. Um, now, Eric, Thursday morning, Kate Brown, Oregon's governor, Kate Brown, did a, a press conference kind of providing an update and announcing that the, the state of Oregon is going to be taking its first steps towards reopening. That starts May 15th. And overall, it was a very positive, a very good bit of news for those people that live in the state of Oregon. Parks are starting to open back up again. Businesses are going to start easing their restrictions a little bit. And people are going to be able to start doing some gatherings of about 25 people Um Positive, positive news for the most part until there was the bombshell that was dropped um, by Brown when it got to phase two, phase three updates of what happens with large gatherings and specifically with sports or concerts or conventions or what she said, festivals and carnivals that attract large crowds and she has said that the Oregon Health Authority is suggesting and that she is suggesting that all events that are under those descriptions, Oregon football being one of those and all of Oregon's other sports, be canceled or, and I quote, concerts, sporting events, festivals, conventions, things with live audiences – they will need to be canceled or significantly modified. Uh, and that's what the Oregon Health Advisory is advising. Now, what, what does that mean in layman's terms? It means from a sellout capacity of 64,000 people, yeah, 64, people at Austin Stadium, that's not going to happen for the Ohio State game. That's not going to happen for the North Dakota State game. That's not going to happen for Hawaii because all three of those non-conference games, Oregon's first three games of the 2020 season, their entire non-conference slate, fall under that timeline. And I, I think, Eric, the, the biggest takeaway is that she didn't say the events can't happen. They just can't happen with full attendance, full audience. 
Yeah, and I think that's significant and important to to be clear is that this game has these games have not been canceled. These games have not been postponed. Um, these games could still take place, but just under unquote significantly significant modifications to how a game is usually uh, you know comprised. I mean, typically, obviously, these these type of games would have. 50,000, 60,000 people at them, that's not something that, given the current circumstances, is going to be able to take place. And and I think that's probably makes a lot of sense, honestly. I mean, I, I, you think about being in the crowd of a raucous football game and the screaming and yelling and drinking and high-fiving and hugging and, and all the sorts of things you do in the crowd when you're celebrating a big play or a victory, etc., those are things that would would, would severely uh, break social distancing kind of regulations and rules. And that's a thing that Kate Brown also said during um, her press briefing, that those social distancing, uh, in, those are going to continue to be enforced for a foreseeable future, for multiple months. And I think understanding that, like... Like I'm not a scientist. I don't know how you know. I don't know exactly how all of this is going to work. But I'm trusting that the Oregon Health Authority, who is the one advising this, has good data and has good information and believes and understands what is right and knows that if you put a bunch of th- thousands and thousands of people in a football stadium, that the possibility that that could be a, a place where it could really, really spread. And we've seen that. I think uh, over in Italy, one of the big causes for that initial outbreak there was, I think, a soccer game where there were a ton of fans. And that's that was one of the, the, the early causes for that. And you don't want that sort of thing to happen in Oregon. And I think it's also important when you when you read through what she said that um, those will not be able to return until we have a reliable treatment or a prevention like a vaccine. I went and kind of did a little bit of independent research on that in terms of the likelihood of getting a vaccine and and the articles I read didn't seem to indicate it was likely that the end of the year which would be obviously November December that they would even have a vaccine by then so I mean she didn't say that that's that's the reading I had a couple of quotes were that the timeline pharmaceutical companies are talking about for COVID-19 vaccines would set records many times over having a vaccine to actually deploy by early next year would require everything going right and going right the first time that rarely happens in drug treatment. That's from CNBC's Megan Tyrell um, doing the reporting on that. That sort of thing makes me also pause and go like, well, if they don't think they're going to have a vaccine by the end of this year, certainly they won't have one by September. And if that's what's required to hold these football games, then that seems like a, a total end of story sort of thing. Like it kind of ends the conversation there from my perspective. Now, I know, I know there's a lot of people on the other side here. I'm not sure if Matt is um, one of those people, but this was something that no really polarized people, you know, reading through our message boards and certainly social media, this was not a well-received uh, notion. A lot of people questioned the timeline of making this kind of call in early May when the season remains multiple months away. Um, personally, I probably am, I'm okay with it. Let's, let's be cautious now, because if we can be cautious now, maybe things change and maybe by September, um, that we, they will be able to play games. We don't know. But I think right now, personally, I didn't have an issue with, with making some sort of declaration now, knowing what she said, which is basically, we need a vaccine to prevent, to, to be able to do this sort of thing. And right now that's certainly not the case and projecting forward. It doesn't seem like that's likely either. Here is her full announcement of the sports large gathering concert comments. And here's, here's exactly what she said. There is some difficult news to share. 
large gatherings, including live sporting events with audiences, concerts, festivals, and conventions will not be able to return until we have a reliable treatment or prevention like a vaccine. The Oregon Health Authority is advising that any large gathering, at least through September, should either be canceled or significantly modified. I know this is really, really hard. I too will miss visiting our fairs and our festivals this year. All right. So there's her full comments. And Eric, honestly, like I I don't have necessarily a a problem with announcing this. Um I I think that there's certainly I mean, we're, we're still four months out from this game being played. And so I, you, I think you could easily argue that you could have waited a month to say no, you know, no games being played um, with fans in attendance in September. Um, I, I, I understand that. And I, I think you, I would have been totally fine waiting a month as well. You know, I, I'm kind of indifferent of, of when of the of the actual decision to announce this, but the timing of it. Um, why announce it now, though? Like, I, I don't think people are fully in understanding of the timelines it takes and the money that is spent and the notices you have to give companies and people and employees that you're doing these types of things um, to make these decisions, you need. I mean, I I look at it at this decision as the state of Oregon, and and she kind of said this in her press conference was she wanted to give uh, the businesses and the citizens and the institutions and the you know the groups of people and organizations time and understanding of what's going on and kind of the timeline of where things are at so that they can adapt. You just can't say, and I mean, think how, think how much time a could be wasted of developing a plan and formulating what to do and how you're going to fit 60,000 fans into Austin stadium. And then on August 1st or July 1st, you, you've devoted all this time to get yourself prepared for that. And then in, on July 1st or August 1st, all of a sudden your plans change and you can't have as many people in the stadium as, as you used to. You have to order now 15,000 pieces of signage that you need to place all around all your facilities at Oregon, whether that's Matthew Knight Arena, whether that's Austin Stadium, whether that's PK Park, whether that's uh, the Jane you know, all of these different facilities, you've got to hire all these people and then train all these people that are, you know, going to be implemented and making sure that people that do get to come in are abiding by the rules. And you have to gather all this equipment and, and all of this stuff, all the logistics of that come with opening up a stadium for fans during uh, a situation like this. That takes time. You just can't flip a switch and all of a sudden you've got a plan and you've got all the people in place. You've got all the product in place. And 
if if your idea is well let's just prepare for both like who's going to front the bill for that like people can't afford businesses can't afford to do that schools can't afford to do you know both scenarios they need to have some kind of concrete plan and have actionable time to de- to develop plans you know how to how they're going to do things and and have some time to prepare and if you if you want we'll decide this in august like that's just unfair to everyone involved all those employees that are thinking they're they're going to have a job and then they get dropped oh by the way we're not doing this we don't need you anymore or on the flip side they need to hire a whole bunch of people and maybe they can't hire you know and train to the level that they need to have in a month's time uh, uh between you know that decision in the start of the game. And I haven't even talked about like the logistics of teams flying or teams canceling and all that stuff comes with. There's, there's just so many moving parts with, with playing or not playing a football game. And obviously we, we know, we know through our history, the difficulties of playing a football game. I think the, the thing that gets lost is the idea of what you just said, where if, if you had expended all of these resources, time thoughts towards the idea that, Hey, the season's going to go, Hey, the season's going to go. And yeah, I don't know, and I don't know what's a month, two months, what's too late, what's not. But you're, you're right. If it's right when fall camp is supposed to start, and suddenly it's yeah, we're not going to be able to have fans at the games in September. That's certainly not a t- enough time to really be able to pivot effectively. So I think there's a lot of truth to what you said there, Matt, in terms of doing this. And I, and I think there's some wisdom in terms of getting this out there sooner rather than later. If they think that this is the reality of what it's going to be. And again, I'm trusting the fact that the Oregon Health Authority is, is what she is so, uh, citing here. And if the Oregon Health Authority were to come out and say, actually, we disagree with Governor Brown, she's manipulating things, then I would have a totally different perspective. But I'm trusting health officials here that they are looking at the circumstances and they are saying, and they're being honest in this, that it would be detrimental to have, have fans at those stadiums based upon what they know. And you can say that, oh, maybe the opinion would be different in a month, but I don't necessarily know if that's the case. And I'm going to guess that they feel that clearly it's not the case. I mean, we don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. We see what's just being represented um, by Governor Brown uh, earlier today. That's why I, I, I tend to just, when I hear somebody you know, citing medical officials and I don't have any expertise here, they know a lot more of the details. And this is a lot more nuanced than the governor doesn't want there to be football this year, so she's shutting it down, and, and we're acting, you know, and she's acting out of fear, and she's trying to, you know, she's trying to ruin everybody's fun. That's not what she's trying to accomplish here. I don't, you know, that's pretty clear to me at least. Um, I know some some who have, again, I, I've cited the fact that we've seen people on social social media and our website be really critical of this, and I understand that because it's the emotional reaction is this stinks, like they're take this a huge thing is being taken away, and let's be real here that Ohio state home football game in Autzen's probably would have been, you know, and it still might happen, but without fans would have been the best non-conference home game Oregon maybe has ever had. It would certainly be in that discussion and that might be taken. It sounds like that's going to be taken away from the fans. And that, that fact is awful. And it's really disappointing at the same time. You don't want to incite something where you've got thousands and thousands of people in a football stadium in September. And we're saying this is an okay health thing. And suddenly there is a massive spike in cases and hospitalizations and deaths. And we just undid what was months and months and months of social distancing and following certain parameters, because that is the reality of what can happen. Um, You could see this be a thing where, hey, because currently there's only like about 60 cases in Lane County, I think. Maybe by the time September comes along, that's only somewhere in the hundreds or two hundreds. If imagine if you were to suddenly get an up a bump up of 500 cases pop up thousand yeah whatever the number is pop up suddenly it's like 
Well, we just spent all of this time shutting the entire economy down, shutting everyone's works down, following very specific parameters, and we just threw that out the window because we thought we could do a football game, and we couldn't. We health officials didn't think we could, but we felt like we had to, and now we've endangered the, the, the civilians. And that's the and I think that's the reality you also have to wrestle with is, yeah, the numbers are low right now, but the numbers are low right now because we're taking certain actions. We're taking actionable steps. If we remove those actionable steps, those numbers aren't going to be the same numbers because we're doing things differently. And I think that's a thing that gets lost, too, because, like I said, the numbers aren't very high right now. But I think that can be credited to the fact that we have certain th measures in place and we've done a good job of following through so far. And I think you don't want to undo all of that in September by trying to play some football games. I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole here. And real quick, though, is what another thing that people aren't taking into account is all the the travel that yeah, and the tourism that events that are concerts that are conventions, festivals, fairs, and sporting events bring. And while, like you said, the state of Oregon, um, as of May seventh, has two thousand seven hundred and fifty nine confirmed cases, just one hundred and nine deaths in the state of Oregon due to COVID nineteen. We don't know where people are coming from from here, okay. and that could. Uh, of how many let's just look at ohio real quick and see where you know their numbers are at and they are significantly higher and there's we're expecting a large contingent of fans that are ohio state fans to come to odson stadium Twenty thousand four hundred and seventy four people have confirmed cases of of covid a thousand fifty six people have confirmed have confirmed deaths from covid in the state of ohio and so it's not just protecting what's within, but also being aware of we don't know where other people from other states that are coming to the state for whatever reason um, are, are coming and where, where they've been and what they have and if they've had contact with someone that's got it. And that's how these types of things can really spread. And we don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole um, with that. But I just wanted to point that out as well. And during this press conference as well, uh, Dr. Dean Seidlinger, the state health officer and epidemiologist uh, for, for the state of Oregon, was asked specifically just kind of how does the sport handle uh, football, high school and college and other contact sports specifically. And this is kind of how he won this discussion point. This is what he said here. This is Dr. Dean Seidlinger, the state health, health officer and epidemiologist. You know, we're continuing to examine um, the types of activities that can take place. Non-contact sports, things like golf or tennis, where people can maintain a distance, are probably some of the things we're going to um, see coming back first. For some of these other sports, um, basketball, um, football, and other things where there is more close contact, obviously there is more risk. So I think as we approach football season, we can see what the, how the disease is behaving in our community, what kind of steps could be taken around the team themselves and the people, the coaches and others around the team to see if they can safely start. Um, but as you heard from the governor's remarks, large gatherings will likely not be happening um, through the end of September. So if those um, activities or when those activities resume, they would likely resume without the fans in the stands, but hopefully the fans watching them from a screen um, in the safety of their own home. Okay, so obviously, you know, non-contact sports are, you know, things like golf or tennis, like he said, those are going to, you know, those are easier to bring back because distance already happens in them. Um, as he approaches football season, you know, like he 
he said, like what everyone's kind of said, we're, you know, as things progress, we'll kind of observe and uh, see how things are behaving and, and we'll take the steps that are, that are needed. Um, what, let's pivot here for a second and let's just drop the discussion point to should, should this game be played, Eric? Like if, if like let's non-health perspective wise, and let's just look at it from a pure football standpoint. Yeah. Oregon, Ohio State, North Dakota State. I don't want to – for whatever reason, North Dakota State fans are just, like, hounding me about the fact that I left them off the schedule when – like, no offense to the Bison, but they're not in comparison even close to where Ohio State ranks in terms of the biggest games ever at Austin Stadium. They're so far down the totem pole. I'm maybe going off a rant that's not <laughs> – Purpose, but I'm just getting attacked yeah. by Bison fans for whatever reason on social media. Uh, but North Dakota State and Ohio State and Hawaii, do you want to see these games be played on their original dates without fans? Should they not be played in its entirety at all if they can't play with fans in the stadium and maybe just push the season back a couple weeks and just do conference games only? Or would you rather see... It's, it'd be kind of inverse. Conference play opens the season in October, and in the month of December, we play these non-conference games before bowl games. Yeah, it's good. It's a good question. Um, I, I think for me, the the one I like the least of the options is, is the idea of basically what they're talking about doing, which is playing the games with no fans. T- to me, either you cancel those games or you move those to another date or you postpone the season further and try to play those games at another time whether that be after conference play like you suggested or you just delay the start of the season entirely a month or something. I don't know. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of factors to this because you're talking about potentially playing um, comp, you know, the non-conference schedule, those three non-conference games in December after like a Pac-12 championship or maybe it's just after the end of your Pac-12 regular season slate. Then you're also impacting you know, the bowl season and postseason greatly too. But to me, I, like – and like I said earlier, like this, that's the thing that stinks is, and we talked about this all spring up until now about how exciting this non-conference schedule is. North Dakota State, the reigning FCS national champions, Ohio State, probably like I said earlier, the best, maybe the best game that would have been played at Otson, you know, in terms of a non-conference opponent, and then Hawaii, who's no slouch either. Those three games were going to provide a ton of excitement for season ticket holders, and they were going to be really excited about going and watching the Ducks face against. Some of the better premier, you know, some honestly one of the one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the country, and those are all home games. What a, what an incredible opportunity for a season ticket holder! I know we even said something like that on the podcast a couple of times. I I think they should try to honor that, and I think they need to find a way to to get fans in the stadium, whether that be at a later date, um, or whatnot. I guess it has to be at a later date. I think that that needs to that, that to me would be the focal point. I I would rather have Ohio State come to Autzen Stadium in December when you can have some fans, maybe all fans in the stadium, then they would have them either be completely canceled or you play the game with, like, I don't know, no fans or with incredible social distancing measures and you've got, like, 2,000, 3,000 fans in the stadium. I just don't see the – I just think – you. I want this game to be what it's supposed to be. And if that means postponing it a couple months, let's postpone it a couple months. But I, I just think that – that's the one thing that was really disappointed when you, when you think about what this does and impacts is – that you know, game day atmosphere for Oregon, Ohio State in September on September 12th was going to be, I think, one of the best you'd seen at Autzen Stadium in a really long time. And if the game is still played on September 12th with what Governor Brown has said, 
um, that game won't feel that way. It'll feel vastly different, and it'll be honestly a disservice to that game itself, in my mind, to play it without anybody in, in attendance cheering it on, because the Austin atmosphere is such a big part of these home games, and if you remove it completely, um, I think that kind of, to me at least, diminishes some of the excitement around it entirely. I am of the notion that I want to see these games postponed, but I don't want to see these games played in December. Because across the country, for the most part, the month of December is brutal. And I think that would that could potentially impact some games for some teams. I mean, maybe maybe it's a benefit for Oregon. I don't know. You know, it, it gets to a point where maybe you know throwing the football is just not an option in the month of December in Eugene and middle of middle of December. And I don't like the fact that that, that you know we're allowing you know those things to maybe impact the game a little bit. What I'd like to see is. They either play the games like they normally are going to play them with fans in attendance, but they push every non-conference game back to a year. Meaning in 2020, you don't play non-conference games. You just play your nine conference games. Maybe you make it 10, uh, or maybe you make it 11 conference games. And... You play the season out like it like it normally would. Maybe you push it back one or two weeks into October to start, and you just play your, your conference games, your bowl games, playoff, what have you. And then the 2021 season is when every every game that, that's out there, that's that's scheduled on the books, contracts agreed upon, whether that's in 2020, 2021, 2022, every one of those non-conference games gets shifted back one year. So Ohio State still comes to Eugene in September, but it happens in 2021. Fans, hopefully by then, can be in attendance in full capacity. You have a full Austin Stadium. Everyone still gets that experience that they're wanting. It's just a year later. I, I would hate to see these games be played in December, personally. I, I, I don't think they give... The whole nature of the non-con and these big non-conference games are everyone knows the weather is perfect. Everyone, I mean that—that's so much part of the of true. the atmosphere and and the, I guess the emotion and the joy and the memory of these big games is that they're in like perfect settings from a weather standpoint. No, I, I think that's a great point, and if that's on the table, I think that's something that I, I would certainly be in support of, and and I think the thing that. What also adds to that making sense is if we do have some sort of postponement and say the games are. You know, you don't finish up the college football season until March. That then completely throws off the schedule going forward. So, you're right. If you can get creative and maybe push those back a year like you're talking about, and then you can keep the schedule in line with what it normally is, that makes it easier not only for this season but also the following season. Because I, I think they're – to me, I've also been thinking about, like, what, yeah, what happens if you end up playing your bowl games in March or April or something like that? Maybe you start the season in January. Maybe that's when a vaccine's available. I don't know. And then you're looking at, oh, are we really going to start off another football season in like four months, five months? Like, is that feel that, that doesn't feel reasonable? So, yeah, if, if that's possible, possible, what you're talking about, Matt, in terms of postponing non-conference play, you play the rest of the season, the season finishes when it's supposed to, um, as opposed to possibly postponing things a little bit, moving things around a little bit this year. I think that long term makes a lot more sense than than fiddling with stuff now. And then you have to fiddle with 2021, maybe 2022 down the line and so forth. 
All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prey. Merck Scope was with me as always. And today was also a day that carried a lot of really good positive news for Oregon Athletics. Um, and maybe we're really burying the lead here, Eric. Um, <laughs> but a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, the NCAA announced that spring sports, you know, winter, you know, winter championships were canceled. Spring sports were canceled in its entirety. And that eventually, a couple weeks later, the NCAA announced that spring athletes would have the ability, if their school allowed them to, to come back and play their senior seasons over again since they did not get to complete those years. Uh, the NCAA passed legislation to allow that. And now, from a women's softball standpoint, uh, maybe two of their best players have announced that instead of graduating and moving on from Oregon this spring, they're going to graduate and then they're going to come back to school and they're going to play another season of softball. Yeah, I think you could say probably two of your four or five best players, you know, of Oregon's two, two of their four or five best players are coming back. Haley Cruz, who led the team in most batting stats and certainly one of the bigger, I think, names. And, you know, we talked previously about the images and likenesses. She was one of the more valuable assets nationally because of her social media presence. She will be back for another year, which obviously that's beneficial for the program, also beneficial for visibility. And then pitcher Samaria Diaz, who came over from New Mexico State, she's a grad transfer senior, um, was 8-0 this last season, led the team with a 1.00 ERA, was really a big part of why Oregon went from being a below 500 team last year to being 22-2 and and ranked ninth in the country when this year's season came to that close. She will also be back. And those were their only two scholarship seniors. They also carried um, a walk-on senior. I don't know. I haven't seen whether or not she'll be coming back. But those two coming back is significant. And it, it lays the groundwork for what I think will be a pretty darn exciting spring next year for, for this team. Because like we said, uh, and it got, it got lost because we had so much else going on. But this softball program really took a step. And there was room for a lot of optimism that this was going to be kind of a you know, put your foot in the sand and, and take off kind of moment and season for the softball program under Missy Lombardi. I mean, they started off so hot and that got taken away. Now you have basically the entire team back, um, plus some additions that I'm sure they're going to make as well to the roster. And I think there's room, again, like there's room for the next season to be really exciting. And I think they're going to be, they won't be overlooked like they were this last year. I mean, they weren't ranked to start the season this year. I think by next year, the way that they're set up with these two players coming back, the rest that they have back, I'm going to guess they're going to be in that top 10, top 12 type of discussion to start the season because they really don't lose any players now. And they bring back what was a talented core that was really starting to kind of gel and come together um, before everything got canceled. How how do you feel like – obviously this is huge news for – you know they're going to be better next year because yeah. more recruits are coming into the program that are talented – and everyone back. Everyone is back from a team that was a top ten team. So obviously they're going to be good. But where are where does Cruz uh, specifically her decision to come back? Um, Diaz as a pitcher um, as her, maybe the ace of the team. Where does where is this going to be felt the most? Like how does this impact the team the biggest in the most way? 
I think well, a couple of things stand out right off on that. Cruz is is and was this last year's team leader, and that was pretty darn clear from the beginning. And that was something she said numerous times. And it can be difficult to replace a senior with her, her type of experience. Um, you think about the fact that she really was that one of those few bridge players from Mike White's tenure to to Missy Lombardi. She was a big part of those Mike White teams that were contending for national championships, and she carried that. She carried the leadership through what was a tough season last year. She helped carry it this year. Um, losing a player like that can be difficult. You think about how that's going to be felt in football with Justin Herbert leaving or how that's going to be felt on the men's and women's basketball team with Peyton Pritchard and Sabrina Nescu um, leaving. You know, Haley Cruz would have been another one of those players that was, you know, the, the, facial, the, the face of the program, the leader of the program that would have had to depart. And that can be big shoes to fill. And then on the field, like I said earlier, she led the team in batting average. She led the team in hits. She led the team in runs. She led the team in stolen bases. She I mean, she led the team in basically every batting category. She's a very good softball player. Um, so that's huge. And then in terms of pitching uh, and Samaria Diaz, like I said earlier, she was the team's leader in wins. She was second in strikeouts. And she was uh, – oh, sorry, she was the leader in, in ERA and was second in wins and second in strikeouts. She was 8-0, which is an impressive record. But you now have that whole staff back with Jordan Dale um, returning with – I'm going to blank on the other pitcher's name, but they had another grad transfer that came through and, and was very significant and I think, 9-1 and one this season. So they're going to have their entire pitching staff back. And we know a big part of why they struggled so much in 2019 was just the lack of arms. And that's no longer going to be a concern. And you now, again, I think it's really valuable this last season, which doesn't ultimately probably feel like it means that much considering it was cut short before conference play even started. But I think the fact that this team had kind of a weird trial run this past spring to kind of get together, learn some things. You know, they can they now know kind of how the pitching rotation might work, what everybody's strengths are going to be. I think that's really significant for this program going forward. And, and again, I, I really truly believe that by spring of 2021, this is going to be a program that's that's considered a, a legitimate team that's going to be a super regional host that's going to uh, potentially go to Oklahoma City to potentially compete for all these championships, which is something that had not been really the case this last year. Um, but I think I just feel like you're turning over a new leaf, and this is really pivotal that these two players decided to come back and, and also continue that. Let's go out broader here for a perspective for a second. And then we haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but I'd be really curious to know what the NCAA does from a freshman, sophomore, junior standpoint. Yeah. Like, like Tara McGowan, okay? She is a redshirt freshman. And the Pac-12 conference has a rule where, where if you transfer within conferences, you have to sit out a year unless approved by the Pac-12, approved by both schools. If If, if Oregon says that, you're eligible, even though you're transferring from Oregon to Oregon State. It's It happens automatically. Usually, it happens all the time. But for in her instance, ASU waited, 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 didn't didn't announce their decision of, of allowing Tara McGowan to become eligible right away when had she transferred anywhere else in the country, she, she would automatically been eligible outside of the Pac-12. And then just before the season uh, last year, they said that she, they were not going to honor that uh, kind of handshake deal and that Tara McGowan would have to sit out the 2018 or yeah, the 2019 softball season. 
And McGowan was a huge recruit. So yeah. she redshirted. This season, she's a redshirt freshman. Now, a month, two months into her season, the year gets shut down. She does not have a redshirt available. Does she, does she get an extra year of eligibility as well? And then on top of that, do should athletes be given the option to redshirt? Like, do they, even though they've kind of played beyond the qualifications of getting a medical redshirt, these are circumstances that are out of everyone's control and that no one really could have projected. Should the NCAA allow, you know, the underclassmen an extra year of eligibility too, or is that just too much? That's a good question, Matt. And it's difficult. Um, again, they played 24 games. The season was going to go – they played about the halfway point of their year. And do you think that is enough for a full season? I don't know. But, I mean, I think the thing I come back to, and, and maybe this is unfair, but when you talk about redshirting in most sports, you know, you play a certain percentage of the games and you've then crossed that threshold. In football, we know now that's – we know what that number is now. It's four. And once you do that – there goes your redshirt possibility. The softball players all play past that number. I mean, I, you know, and I don't know the exact percentage of what it is right now off the top of my head, but they played 24 games. That was a big part of the season. So part of me says, like, it's a, it's the unfortunate part here. The season is always going to be tainted. It's never going to feel like a complete season. But the reality for me is, like, I don't know if they should – I don't know if they deserve that luxury too. Um, and maybe that's heavy-handed. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for the seniors because I think it's really awful to end – a career, especially in a sport like this, without being able to play for and compete for championships. I, I, I'm not in support of that. But for these players that got a 24-game season, I, I don't I don't necessarily think that they're also deserving on a year back. And I know that stinks. It, it'll screw up some things. It's probably frustrating for those involved. But if you were a freshman in 2019, you know, in 2020, I think you should be a sophomore in 2021. If you play a, a 24 games, you know, if you play 24 games, so that's just how I feel. Um, I, I, some probably will disagree, but they got enough of a season in, in my mind that it, that it should count. Um, I just, but I am, I am in, as, as it's probably clear, I am in support of the seniors getting an opportunity because that last season feels different. It's their final go and you just don't want to end their career on that kind of note. But for all the other players, this is the middle of their career or early on in their career. I think I'm okay with them exhausting a year, even though it probably feels kind of wrong to some people. I'm on the other end of it. I, I, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna open the door for seniors to get an extra year, you shouldn't punish you shouldn't punish another athlete just because they've got an extra year to play their sport. Uh, that that same I guess restock of eligibility. Um, because, I mean, let's just look at it from uh, a media perspective or a professional perspective. Like, one year could be the difference in an athlete being able to use their platform of being a, a face in the program or a student athlete to better themselves. What if TikTok and, and this kind of previews Monday's podcast, but what if the app TikTok was not created until I want to say let's just let's just say like uh, May first, twenty twenty two, and a junior, uh, uh, you know, a, a Haley Cruz doesn't get the opportunity to use TikTok while she's part of the Oregon basketball, the Oregon softball program, 
and doesn't create viral content that explodes and creates, you know, duck fans galore and, and people outside of the Oregon duck spectrum that see it and gravitate towards her and her account. And that opens up the idea then of, well, I've got now 150,000 followers on TikTok and I could make significant life-changing money through sponsorships and other advertising money based off of the name, image, and likeness thing that's been, that's been you know, progressing towards athletes being able to profit off of. You know, I, I just think give these athletes, even if it's a small window of probability, Give the you know if, if you're going to give a senior an extra chance at playing their sport, I think you need to give the junior, the sophomore, and the freshman an extra year as well, just because, and th- that extra year could could be a, a, a defining moment. It could it could it might not be a, a monetary deal where they become millionaires because of you know their status in the af- athletic field. It could be the difference of them being able to afford graduate school. And then getting a job that's life changing for that person's family. Let me throw an idea at you that might be somewhat crazy, but maybe maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't. But what if you then said, okay, we are going to honor that. We're going to give them an extra year, but they're going to miss all of non conference play. They could only I'd be fine with that. A Pac twelve play and postseason play, and that would be probably where I would say, okay, I can get behind that because they did miss out on that. I mean, that, they they played. They were literally going to start conference play like a day before everything got canceled. They were going to play California on I think March 13th, which is right when all of this was starting to get canceled. Yeah, I flew home with the women's soft with the softball <laughs> team right. from Eugene to Eugene. Matt, yeah, Matt knows better than most about what their travel plans were because he happened to be on those flights. But um, if, if if that was the the ruling, if they said, hey, you know what, you're not going to get to play those first 20, 25 games in non-conference play as a senior, you can play your next couple of years out typically, but your final year, whatever, whenever that is, whether you know, regardless of what your class is now. You miss out on non-conference play because you've already gotten a, a fifth non-conference if you do that play. But conference play, postseason play, we'll let you stick around for that. I mean, it would be strange because you'd have, for some schools who have you know big classes, you could have a significant part of the roster ineligible for the first 25 games. But at the same time, at least then you'd be, in my mind, accomplishing that where each player gets its four full years of eligibility. Because that is true. That part's missing. And you're right. That would also provide them uh, extra time to to take advantage of the name and likeness and, and all that stuff, which is obviously going to be a really big part of college sports for the foreseeable future. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. So I, I think there are compromises to possibly be made. And we should say both, what we're both talking about right now, there's no clarity about if, if any of that's really on the table or, or how that's going to play out. But it will be something to follow. And I'm sure this will be something that is at least discussed at some point. Huge news, nonetheless, for the Oregon softball team. Uh, we'll have full reactions from that as well down the road. Um, Eric's got some stories up on DuckTerritory.com right now of that, but hopefully we're going to be speaking with uh, Diaz and Cruz about that decision to come back to school. Both have announced through the social channels, the softball program. Um, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We really appreciate you uh, checking in on this one. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.